Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 288. You know, I'm glad that my parents gave me the ability to always believe and trust in other people because even though I've been burnt so many times, it's made my skin probably a little thicker, but I still always believe the best in everybody. I always give them that trust until they do something to break it. And I think that's a, that's a good quality to have. I don't think if you go into something and think the worst of somebody, you're just destined to make it a, a pretty adverse situation to work with. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you tired of placing orders after a long day at the restaurant only to have them come in wrong on the day of delivery? Perhaps you're still doing inventory with paper and pencil. Maybe the sound of cutting labor costs is appealing. If you're interested in five times fewer order returns, two times faster order placements, and $2 saved on labor costs for each order, then you've got to head over to www.bluecard.com and sign up today. Many thanks and happy ordering from Blue Cart. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Scotty Wise. Scotty, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today <laughs> i am feeling unstoppable i feel unstoppable every morning i get up i got four kids if i'm not ready to jump out of the bed with yes. both feet in the ground and running then i've got i've got a problem so uh awesome four kids and two thousand employees that's enough to, to make anybody feel a little bit unstoppable yes there you go all right, Scott Wise is the president and CEO of Pots and Pans Productions, the parent management company for Scotty's Brew House, Three Wise Men Brewing Company, Scotty's Brew Club, and Scotty's Dog House, with 15 restaurants in Indiana, four more being built in Florida, Illinois, Ohio, and Plainsfield, Indiana, and uh, the Brew House team has been very busy. Scotty is well known as a community philanthropist, uh, consistently committing his time and effort along with monetary and food donations to causes in every city in which his restaurants reside. I mean, and you've gotten so many accolades. You've done so much, Scotty. Uh, I'm just scratching the surface with this this introduction, but uh, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Well, you know what? I, from a motivational standpoint, it might not sound motivational, but something that kind of we live by in our company is that uh, I think that the true character of a person is not shown when things are going well, but when your back is against the wall. So oh, yeah. I've been some, somebody that learns more from the mistakes I've made in my personal and professional life. And I think this, that true su- successful people learn from those situations and 
their their character is tested. You you got a couple different options when something bad happens. You can either learn from it and and be better for it in the future, or you can kind of wallow in it and, and be sad and sorrowful, or you can move on. And so I think that that, in my opinion, is kind of what, one of the mantras that I live by is that I'm never upset. You know, I, I think you can be frustrated by a mistake that you make, but those are the things that, if you use them properly, can make you the most successful person in, in on the planet. Oh, I love it! It's just getting in the right mindset, having that optimistic out view or outlook on life and knowing that it's not over when things don't go according to plan you just bounce back up and you keep going and you just a little bit better because of it so i love how we're starting this out, man. beautiful so let me ask you what, what's your why what's your purpose what drives you to, to have the kind of success that you've had you know what well i mean if i lay on the couch for you and kind of self-analyze myself i look <laughs> back to uh being you know it started being like first child you know of course so i'm OCD, I'm type A, I want to succeed. I kind of put all the pressure I put on myself just because of, you know, kind of not how I was raised. I mean, I, I was raised in a family of entrepreneurs. So I already, already knew what I wanted to do from the, the, the day I was born. I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur myself. I knew I was going to be successful. So, but because of that, you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you want to be the best at everything, whether it's you're playing sports or in the classroom or, you know, uh, if I was drawing a picture in art class, I wanted to have the best picture or color the best picture. So there's just, uh, I think that that's kind of where things started. And so even when I got into the business world, uh, you know, the goal was I want to dominate. I want to, I want to have restaurants everywhere. And it's funny how that, you know, things change as you get older, you have kids and life kind of slows down a little bit for you and you kind of under notice things a little bit more. And it's not like I need to be successful tomorrow. You, you you know, as cliche as it might sound, but it's so true is that you figure out that you need to enjoy kind of the journey and not the destination because there were so many times where I got to the destination and I'm like, okay, now what's next? And you kind of are left with almost an empty feeling. So you got to fill that emptiness with, all right, I got to dominate something else. I got to do more. And so what has been a blessing in my life is kind of going through a pretty serious medical issue, uh, four, four years ago where I, uh, got a brain infection and came very close to dying. And, and what it did, the, the great thing about that, as, as crazy as that might sound in the same sentence, is that it kind of changed my purpose and outlook for my personal life and my professional life. So I kind of decided that, you know, as a, as a restaurateur or even a, just a community philanthropist, I always wanted to give back. We've always done that as part of our vision and mission in our company. But what happened when I had that brain infection was it, it almost amplified everything and said, okay, slow life down a little bit, be at home a little bit more, enjoy your kids and your family, enjoy the journey. And then from a, a company standpoint, I thought, okay, I've got all these employees, I've got these 2000 employees and growing that are working underneath me. How can I make them understand life a little bit better and, and appreciate things and give back to our world? So that's kind of been a, a, a turning point for me. That's kind of been an, a mission for us as a company. Is not, it's no longer world domination. It's more make the world a better place mm. through growth of your of your concept. So it's for us. It's uh, we've got two different uh, strict efforts that we res that reside in our mission statement or our vision. One is to to give back every ninety days. We ask all of our employees to do some kind of philanthropic effort every 90 days. And the other one uh, that we've made a, a vision and a mission statement is to hire people with disabilities. So 
we started our uh, this program about a year ago, where about one uh, percent of our staff had either some kind of physical or mental challenge that they dealt with, and we've now reached out to groups that like Goodwill and uh, a lot of different enter- enterprises here in, in Indiana and even out into these new states. And we've grown it to about four to five percent, and the goal is by the end of uh, 2017 to have 10 percent of our workforce have some kind of physical or mental challenge. And it's just it's, an, it's been an incredible effort. It's been you know we've we've got a few awards and accolades for this in the past year, and I kind of uh, not I don't turn them down because I think that'd be disrespectful, but I don't. It's not about the award, you know. It's about doing what's right in yes. our hearts and and doing as human beings. And so I, when I accept the awards, I always tell people that it's. I'll accept it on behalf of all the parents and the and the teachers and the people that helped raise these people with disabilities that let them know that they can be something someday. They just needed somebody to give them an opportunity. And, and that's where my place in the world has been. I've, I've decided that I've been given a blessing and uh, to, to kind of stand on a soapbox and have restaurants all over. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a vehicle, a means to the end where you we've got to be able to serve great food and drink and have great service, which I think we have all those wrapped up. And if you do that, then that gives me the opportunity then to uh, kind of spread this, this message of kind of a pay it forward, give back uh, philanthropist uh, endeavor. And it's been, it's been great. So that's kind of my mission and what we're doing in, in my company and life. Scotty, I love this, man. Uh, I just want to like paint a picture of how I interpreted what you shared with us. And when you were younger, you had this vision of being successful and being huge. But that's what success was to you, was just having as many restaurants, being huge and being successful by owning as many properties, it sounded like. That was your goal. And when you have this, ex- right. you this experience, you realized success isn't measured in how much money I'm making or how many locations I have. It's in what kind of impact I'm leaving, what kind of imprint I'm making on society and my legacy and what people are going to say about me when I'm gone and how I can make this world a better place. You focus on being great, not big, uh, which is hundred percent correct, which is the mentality you need to have. If you, if you want to grow, um, and you don't have to be focused on growth, but just focus on being great. And growth will happen organically when you do that. Uh, I love it, man. I really do. Um, and one other thing I pulled from your story, which I thought was really great, is you knew from a very young age that you were going to be successful. What what does having that confidence and having that, uh, that uh, mentality of just knowing it's going to happen, how is that impactful? Oh, I mean, that's everything, right? I mean, it's having great self-confidence and security and who you are and what you want to be and not being afraid. You know, I've just, I've always been a guy that never felt like I had to be a follower that I, I could kind of cut my own path. And, uh, I didn't feel like to fit in. I had to, you know, dress a certain way or look a certain way. And, and I, you know, I would say probably that start who your parents are, you know, that they give, they kind of build that within you to love everybody and understand that everybody's different and you, accept everybody for their differences and their qualities. And, and I think by having just good loving parents like that, then they kind of even, you know, I remember having growing up and having friends that my parents wouldn't like, and I'd always want to hang out with these, these guys that I look back now. And of course they were the troublemakers and that's why they were fun to hang out with. But I would be always upset because they would keep me away from certain people and always keep me around other friends. And I think that, kind of builds who you become by having the by having good parents that watch out for you and keep you around the right crowd, mm-hmm. then that kind of starts building your 
confidence even more. It builds you, you the, the groups of people who you want to be around. And so, Absolutely. so I think that's where it started. And then because they built that confidence within me, then I started pushing myself to, to do more and more. So I remember in college when, uh, it wasn't, in my opinion, college is classroom is only a small piece of what you're doing there. The other part is, in my opinion, is managing your time correctly. And so I would have a part-time job. I would, uh, I was on different clubs and teams. And then I, and then I was in a fraternity where I pushed myself to not just be in there just to meet people and, you know, have a great time at a party on a Friday night. It was also to be a chairman of different groups. And then, you know, of course I wanted to be the president of the, of the fraternity. And what I was doing was trying to number one, pad my resume. Cause I, I knew that I needed to have all these different things on my resume to make me better. But then as I started getting older and I thought, well, why am I padding my resume when I know I'm going to own my own business and I'm not going to work for anybody. So I don't really need a resume. Mm. So the second thing I was doing was trying to build my own confidence more. So it was, figuring out how do I get in front of a group of people and know how to talk and motivate and lead. And, and by doing that, then that started making, forcing me to, to figure out not just how to talk, have confidence and talk in front of a group, but how do I take, you know, a hundred knucklehead fraternity guys and get them <laughs> to show up on a Saturday morning for a philanthropic endeavor. And so those things, it wasn't somebody pushing me to do that. It was me pushing myself. Awesome. And so, not everybody is kind of born with that innate quality. I mean, that's, I, I'm proud of having that, uh, that kind of that blessing that I've been given. I think everybody kind of gets something from God and some people are artists, some people are teachers, some people in the world are people that work in uh, homeless shelters that need that where we need all these different people in our world. And I was just graced with the blessing of being able to uh, have that inner confidence to collectively grab a group of people and motivate and lead and, and do it the right way. Yeah. And I mean, you shared just so much valuable things with us just then, Scotty. And I mean, one thing is just the power of, like you said, the confidence and to project what you want your life to look like in the future and to, to have that vision and to be convinced if you're going to, if you're going to convince anybody that you can do it, you need to convince yourself. And it sounds like from That's the right. very early stage, you convinced yourself and nothing wasn't going to get you in your way, man. you truly were unstoppable. And, um, I, I want to kind of paint a picture of the journey you took to get to where you are today and really like, you know, just put a spotlight on it so we can kind of emulate that path in our own career. So you, opened your first restaurant when you were 22 years old. Um, let's rewind and talk about the, the years leading up to that point. When you, you know, when did you know that this was what you were going to do and how did you give yourself the skills you needed to make it happen? Well, let me rewind even further back and tell you that as rosy as I can paint this picture that I would, t I would tell you that everything comes with its own problem. Right. And that's why I've started out with saying that, kind of your missteps and your mistakes and the things that you make in life are what shape you and make you better if you learn from them and listen to them and, and observe them. And so <clears throat> well, I can tell you that I was confident, but I wasn't always confident. You know, as a kid, I was, a, I was, you know, ch a chubby kid and, and I went battled anorexia my freshman year in college. And so I clearly had not full confidence because I had some self image issues that I just felt like I wasn't good enough, but I was able to kind of break free of that stuff. And it, and I think that those kind of things helped even shape me today, even in my company now where I have a mantra of, of working out on a daily basis. And I try to even push that onto my team to know that it's because it keeps you not just physically healthy, but mentally and mm. 
and it's good for your heart and, and all these other things. So I think using some of those things are, again, are what shaped me and, and made me a better human being, I think, today by going through some of those things. But going back to what you were saying and kind of growing into that position, the for me, when I graduated college, I didn't think I was going to own a restaurant. I mean, I wasn't ever in the picture. I worked in restaurants from the time I was 16 all the way until I graduated, but it, it wasn't in our family. It wasn't like something that I knew that that was where I was headed. It was just, it was a job I really enjoyed. I, I waited tables. I worked in a kitchen. I, I was a bartender. I did every kind of position. And I loved that industry, but it never, the me, phrase I was going to work in uh, marketing. So I was always going to, I always wanted to be a director of some kind of marketing. And okay. so I grad, I graduated college and went to, uh, I uh, graduated from Ball State University, and then I moved to Texas in 95 and worked at Houston in a marketing department, and I was sitting at a desk, and I remember thinking, this this is awful. I hate <laughs> nine to five. I was raised around parents that were entrepreneurs, so I got to see their lifestyle and knew that they worked hard. They worked late at night, but they also, when they wanted to take off, they took off, and they and they were with the family, and so I, I rem- so that's kind of where things started kind of coming together for me, and I thought why do I keep, you know, I kind of had this issue where I kept running from my family, running from my last name, because when I was growing up, I was always known as Jerry and Debbie's son in our hometown. And I really didn't have my own name, my own persona. I was just because they were so successful. And I think that drove me so crazy that I just wanted to keep running away from it. Plus, I think I was scared. I was scared of, they had created these giant successful footprints that I was now supposed to walk in. Mm. And so I left and I, and I, and I was, when I was away and I kind of had this epiphany because number one, I, I missed my family. Number two, I, w- I hated my day job and I was bartending at night. And so all those things kind of came together and I thought, why do you keep running from your name? Why don't you embrace it and use it actually as a, as a vehicle to be successful? Yeah. And why don't you look at the restaurant industry? I mean, you clearly like it. You keep gravitating towards it throughout your entire adult life. So that's kind of where everything clicked. And so when I came back to my hometown, I left Texas and came back and I was living at home and I started just drawing up a business plan. I started putting it all on paper and, and uh, I show my dad, he'd say, okay, you need to work on this and you do this. And so for about six to eight months, I put together a business plan and, and then he said, okay, I'll go with you to the bank and we'll, we'll show it to them and we'll see what they say. And uh, you know, several months later, I got a, a loan co-signed, of course, on my dad's name, not uh, had anything to do with me other than I just put this plan together. And for $65,000, I started the first Scotties. Wow, that's awesome. And you mentioned a few times, Scotty, that you loved the industry that I mean, you were so drawn to it. What exactly was it about the industry that drew you to it? Well, I think that we're all in this industry where we're what I would call people pleasers. Mm-hmm. We want to make people happy. We want to uh, you know, we want to make people, I, I want to make people smile and laugh. And so that's always been something I've enjoyed. And, uh, I don't know if it's just the craziness of always wanting things to be perfect. And I want people to leave and feel like, yeah, that was great. I had a great time there and that was a great spot. So I think it, it was all those things. I, my dad always told me that, uh, when I was growing up that you'll know, you'll find you found the right career when you go to work and it doesn't feel like work, it feels like you're being paid to play. And so, you know, the minute that I was doing this, I just loved it every day. I didn't, I don't mind still today putting in, you know, 15 hour, 18 hour days because it just doesn't, to me, it's, I mean, it's, there's days where it's a grind, but, uh, I don't, I don't not enjoy any of it. I, I, the time 
for me, the time flew by so quickly that I'd look down and all of a sudden it would be, you know, eight o'clock at night and I'd still be cranking away at work. Totally and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. so it was, that's kind of where I knew that that was the spot for me. I just got very, I'd hate to say lucky. Cause I don't, I don't really believe in that. I think you create your own, you know, that, that word, I think it's luck is, is kind of an intersection of hard work and timing and perseverance and knowledge. Yes. And so I think I had all those things to, to make, get me to where I needed to be. I just never knew that the for you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough versus other people in the world that go to work every day and hate their job and they just didn't find the right spot, but they have to grind through it to, to be able to pay the bills. And mm-hmm. so I was, I kind of got into the restaurant business and it was just a, it was, it's been an incredible ride for me. Beautiful. And you said uh, that you, you had this idea, you decided that you were going to go for it. You started writing your business plan and it, it took, you said six to eight months to really finalize that, that product, that business plan. So how did that business plan evolve from the first copy to the last copy when you when your dad threw sticks and stones at it to, to kind of get it up to par? Like how did you, what lessons did you learn in that process? Well, it's, I mean, you're a, so I'm a 20, at this time I'm a 22 year old that, yeah. You know, I did. I knew enough to be just dangerous. I mean, I didn't understand. I might <laughs> know that you know you've got to pay payroll, and I know I can. You know, I can do simple math, and I know how many employees I would need, and here's what I need to pay them. And but then you know you don't think through what what about taxes? And mm. uh, I know what rent is, but I've never heard of CAM. You know, common area maintenance. So you so you're telling me there's a charge for snow removal, and that they if they come out and fix things, and you've got property insurance and just general liability, and then you've got workers comp and you've got, so there were all these things that I just, you kind of just, you know, the basics. Mm-hmm. I know that, Hey, I've got to buy uh, burger meat and I've got to buy buns. And I know what the cost of that is. I can divide it out. And then, so I know that the cost of my burger is going to be a dollar 27. And so to make a profit, I need to make it, you know, five fifty for a customer to purchase. So, you, you know, you know, some of those things, but there's just things that, you know, you, again, as a 22 year old or somebody just any, I mean, it doesn't have to be 22. You could be 52 and you want to get into the restaurant business and the restaurant business is a bear, especially, you know, every business is tough mm-hmm. and Absolutely. I don't want to say mine's the toughest, but our profit margin is, is very tiny in this business. It's four pennies on a dollar. If you're doing everything perfectly correct. And as we all know, not, no human being is perfect and always right. And so if I don't screw up and I can make four pennies, so you're telling me if I do screw up, and I drop a plate or I ring in the wrong food or I burn someone's food. Now my four pennies has turned to three or two. And so to, to work as hard as you have to work and for that slim of a profit margin and to be able to know that I got to make sure that the lights are turned off at the right time. And I got to make sure the air conditioner conditioner is turned to the right temperature. And I, you know, so you've got all these different things that you have to monitor and then to throw in that mix you're in a business that nothing is guaranteed. So you don't know what's business going to be like on a Monday versus a Saturday. Do I, am I guaranteed that people are going to walk in and come to come into the restaurant and eat on a, on a Tuesday. And if, and if they aren't, then I got to make sure that I've got all these employees standing around and they're not making money and they're not happy. And so how do I trim that labor cost down? And so again, th- there's just so many things that you learn over time and it just takes time. It just takes experience for you to get all those things. And most the, the typical course for me should have been to work in another restaurant as a manager or a, an owner operator or something for, a, for five years or more. And that's not, that's not the path I chose. You know, I went, I just dove all in head first. And so at the age of 22, so, 
but that the problem with that is that I was overly successful in restaurant number one. And so I, things were great. And I thought then all of a sudden I, you know, I became Superman because not only was I young and naive and stupid, but now I've just created a, my, the, I made the monster even bigger because <laughs> I was overly successful. So then I thought, well, this is easy. I'm going to open restaurant number two. Yeah. And I think we'll, and we're going to talk about that. I have a question for that later and we're going to talk about that. So sure. keep that one locked and loaded. But what, what I do want to talk about right now is, um, that you did, I mean, I want to dive a little deeper into the fact that you did take an unconventional path, or or maybe you could argue a conventional path, but usually doesn't turn out the way that it turned out for you. Um, and whenever I talk to people and I give them advice, and if they want to open a restaurant, I'm like, go get at least two, three years experience managing one, learn right. everything you can, and make mistakes on someone else's right. dollar. Um, but you, you pulled it off. So, I mean... One thing I also read about you is that you created this restaurant. This restaurant was everything that you loved. You love beer. You love burgers. You love fries. Like these were all the things that you love. But you were also opening a restaurant where essentially you you were your target market. Right. And that's the yeah, only thing I can right. think of that you know because whenever you, you do research and whenever you're opening a restaurant, you see people say you know market analysis, market analysis. Like what's the demographic? What do people want? Don't create what you want, but I would argue that, and I think you're kind of uh, living proof that you need to create something that you're passionate about because you won't have the endurance to to stick it through. But how do you create something you're passionate about that's right for wherever you're opening it? So talk us through that a little bit. Well, I, for sure, I think that's I think you're exactly right. You have to have a passion for what you're doing, and if that's in place, then the all the pieces are going to fall together. But you also have to be knowledgeable about it. So, I, for example, like if I was, uh, I don't know, let's say I was passionate about Asian food, but I was opening in the middle of the Midwest, maybe where a town that has no Asian restaurants, and but I'm yeah. just so passionate about it that you're blindly passionate. You know, you're like, you, you're just, you do it because you, you cut off your nose and spite your face. You're not <laughs> thinking through it properly. And so, so I'm, I was passionate about burgers and fries and this comfort food. But I was also smart because I knew that not only did I want to be passionate about it and be successful today, but I knew 20 years from then, for example, I I love Nouveau restaurants. I love like these new restaurants that are like, I love visiting a high-end restaurant that's got a chef and are doing really creative things. Mm -hmm. But I like visiting those places. I just never would want to own one and do one, number one, because they're so difficult and I'm not a chef and I'm not that creative. But number two trends and and our influences everything is so passe like what is in today is gone mm, tomorrow or, or absolutely you know three months from now so when i created the restaurant i had a vision to say i want something that's going to be long lasting mm. and i just felt like burgers and fries and beer it was not going to go away we we're always there was always going to be a need for comfort food mm. and and sports you know it's, which is what we're kind of built around so not only was I passionate about it, but I, I knew that I was building something that, that made sense. And, I, and from a demographic standpoint, that it also had to make sense in where I wanted to locate. So I wanted to, at first, I wanted to be in these college towns. I thought it was going to be a great college town bar where you could get kind of a higher end burger and some craft beer. And it wasn't going to be the place where you were going to dance and do shots all night. It was going to be kind of where you started your night with your friends to gather around a table, get some, have a couple beers, a burger, and kind of line the stomach before you go out and do the rest of your damage. And so we, cr- <laughs> I created that, but, but what is funny and what happens, what I've found in the life cycle of a business, and especially with an owner like me that has just aged. And now, you know, when I started and I was 22 and I wasn't married with, and I was without kids and now 
I've been married for 18 years and have kids, four kids, the restaurant has evolved and it's, mm. and it's become almost a restaurant that is still about me and my growth <clears throat> as a father. And so <clears throat> I joke and say that when we first opened or when my wife and I first had, had our first child, the, <laughs> the restaurant never had changing tables in the men's room. And she's, you know, clearly she sat me down and said, you're you sexist pig. You <laughs> are going to be changing the child just like I am. So the restaurants need to change. And so not only has that happened, but now our restaurants have like these little kids play areas that we put in. They've, we've got pro programs focused on kids eat free certain days of the week. And even beyond that, we do, we bring in like a face painter and we bring like a toy chest to the kids. And again, all that stuff was kind of a marketing development for me, like driving to Florida on vacations and the kids always wanted to stop at McDonald's for not because the food was great, but because they wanted a happy meal with a toy in it. So that, that, that light bulb went off and I'm like, man, why, what if I had a toy chest that I brought to the kids after they ate, would I get the same kind of benefit that McDonald's gets? And kids, as I know, make a lot of our dining decisions yep. for my wife and I. <laughs> so to the, to the essence of your question, having a passion for what you're doing is number is clearly number one, the most important, but one a and one B would be being smart about it and understanding where you're putting that restaurant or, or what you're pa- making sure your passion matches the demographical needs and the, and the, the business environment that you're going to be in. And then thirdly, it's just about the, about the growth of the, person that's doing it and what and how the business ages with you absolutely and i mean i, I think it's it's just it's funny because like on if you hear the story it's like you did everything wrong but you did it right <laughs> and it's, it's like right. Uh, right. You know, you're right. a 22 year old kid who loved beer burgers fries opening what you loved in a college town so you were you know the things that you loved were the things that you you were like kind of interwoven in you know in the target audience, like you were a part of it. And so it, it just made sense. And I mean, I, I think you got to ask yourself if you're listening to this, what am I passionate about? And am I willing to relocate to where people are similarly passionate about what I share? And it, it, you can, well, do I, that, would add, but, I would yeah. add, I would, I would add to that by saying that probably one of the most important qualities that you can have as a business owner, or even as a, just a person in general is being able to adapt and change at all times. And especially in the world that we live in with it's moving so fast and it's changing so quickly with technology and, and consumer tastes and just knowledge because of everything being at our fingertips. If you don't have the ability to adapt to change and do it quickly and be open and, and uh, great about it, then you're going to be left to the wayside very quickly. So when I was adapting and changing in the beginning, it was more of a slow process. There weren't, there weren't, computer i mean there were some computers out there weren't like phones and the the things that we have today so i would adapt and change at a slower pace back when i was 22 25 30 and then if i look at it today if i see a consumer behavior come out or a trend and i'm not willing to adapt and change to it quickly if i'm like one of these curmudgeons that five years ago were yelling at me like what's twitter i don't need twitter i remember 10 years ago people telling me I don't need a website. I, I've got the phone book. Yeah. I mean, we look at those things, and I and it's la- it's laughable now because we see how crazy those those comments were. But there are some people that didn't adapt and change, and those are the same people that like the I, I could point out the newspaper industry or the the radio that people thought that they kind of 
owned a, a segment or a market and they would never go away. And all of a sudden now I can read articles on my phone and I can listen to XM radio or I can listen to I, you know Apple music. And so I don't need some of those things. And so the people that didn't change are the ones that are going to the graveyard. Yeah. And I kind of, some of the things I want to talk about right now, and I feel like it's a good time to talk about this is the things we need to do in our business um, to be in the position where we can be focusing on what's happening in the market and focusing on improving and changing, because that takes a lot of time and energy to be paying attention into to implement those changes. So how did your restaurant evolve from the, the time you opened it um, to the time you were able to maybe pull yourself out of it a little bit so you could start focusing on staying fresh and staying up to date? Like, how did you talk about the evolution of your role in the restaurant from working in it to working on it? Well, that's, and that's a great comment. Your last line is exactly what we try to tell people all the time is that that's to be successful. You, whether you have one restaurant or 10 or 20, it's, you can't, to be successful, you can't work in it and you can't be in every one all the time. So you've got to be able to work on it. You've got to be able to kind of tinker and improve and whether it's marketing or it's food development or it's, it, it's figuring out your culture or your people, how do I incentivize them? So, you know, the role, my role has changed so many times and over the years in so many different ways that it goes, you know, it would take a, a whole segment just to talk about that. But I mean, it's, it Give really, us an aerial view. Just tap it, on some of the different, like, big things that you did to evolve and how that impacted your business. Well, I, you know, the, the most difficult part for us is, for, for, I think, for a restaurant owner, is not opening restaurant number seven or eight. It's going from really one to probably two and three. Those are your, mm. uh, were probably my most difficult years because you don't have systems and procedures in place. You don't have uh, a, a big enough budget to pay for it. You know, you, you basically, I can pay for myself. Mm-hmm. to travel around and keep an eye on, on three different restaurants. And it wasn't like three in the same town. It was three that were two hours apart. Each one was two hours apart from each other. So it put me on the road a lot. And it, But, you know, I think what, in my opinion, if there, was a, if there was a success tidbit that you give to anybody listening, it's that you surround yourself with greatness. Mm-hmm. You surround, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not the best at anything that I do in this company. I mean, I, I'm a good leader and a good motivator, but... I've got a bunch of people around me that make me look a lot smarter than I am. So even back when, when it was day one, I mean, back when it was, if you're asking me like how I evolved to, to, to work on the business, it was making sure that I had great people inside the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but I gave them the tools to succeed yes. and I let them know that they, they, I wanted them to own it. I wanted them to always be open. I wanted to always be open and honest with them about how we were doing whether profitability or success wise. And I wanted to always share with them in the success. So not just saying, Hey, great job. We did it together, but no, here's, we had this much profit and you get a chunk of it so that you're the carrot is in front of you. And I know that the harder you work, the, the better we both do. Scott, so I really want to slam on the brakes right here because I don't know if you're yeah. going to um, say what I, I hope you're going to say. So I'm just going to, you know, reveal it and you make your managers, <laughs> own 5% of the, the business, the restaurant they're operating? Well, yeah, that's what I did in the past. Now I give them the option. Okay. So I didn't want to force it. I didn't want it to be, uh, because for a while it's, it started being a negative. Like they felt like they had to mm. spend money and then they didn't understand. Is this, so, some of them didn't understand, hey, this is not just, I got to spend the money. It's, it's an investment in my future. Okay. So now we give that now they got they've got the option if they want to invest they can if they don't want to they don't have to they but they're still 
beyond that, we still put you still put bonus programs in front of them to incentivize them to I think that's huge. control costs. I yeah, think that's sure. absolutely yeah. huge. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges we have motivating and getting people on board is they don't have a any skin in the game. They don't have any sense of ownership. They they work for you. Yep. When you when you flatten the hierarchy and you go from you're my boss to you're my partner and I'm invested in this. I have skin in the game. That sense of ownership that it it, it turns everything around. It, it, it's just a different way to look at it. And I mean. How is that? You, how, how do you think that's really served what you're doing? Oh, it's uh, you know when I look back, I would say, and probably it still rings true today that one of the reasons why I grew the restaurant was not just because of I my, some self conceited world domination factor that I had. It was because I knew that if I stopped growing, my people stopped growing, mm. and their and their ability to do better and be promoted and want to do more all of a sudden we're stopped. Because if I said, okay, I'm going to stop at three restaurants. This is this, I'm good enough. This is, I can make good money here. I felt like, like I kind of limited the, I put a glass ceiling so that some people could, they could only achieve so much. And then it's not like they were going to take my job and they could, once they got to the top of the run, their, their ladder, then they couldn't go any, any, any higher. So I think for us, we I wanted to continue to grow the company so that I could always give more and more opportunities mm-hmm. for people to grow within their own restaurant, yes. to transfer to a different state, to get into a corporate role. So I believe we all work for some kind of recognition, whether it's just, I need a pat on the back and I can do good just by you telling me, thank you. And you did a great job. Or I want, I'm, I'm motivated by monetary incentives. Everybody's got a different motivation. And so for me in the type of people I look for in my company it's I want competitors. I want people that want to not, not just with themselves, but even restaurant to restaurant. I want them to compete against each other to be the best restaurant. Hey, we're the most profitable or we have the lowest turnover or we have the, the, the lowest food cost. So I think by finding those people and wanting them to, to do that, you give them incentives then to be better and do better. And so whether it's a, a raise in a salary or a bonus that makes everybody that, that elevates the entire company. So I've always believed in kind of that mantra to, to get success out of the people around us. So when you, one of the things you said earlier is that you've got to surround yourself with these people who are better and incredible at doing things than you are. And when you first started taking people on to take over, you know, back of house, front of house, maybe accounting, because you said that you are the motivational, inspirational, rah, rah, like cheerleader type dude, like that, that's where you shine. Right. So how, how did you prioritize the different parts of your business that you're going to allow other people to take over? I think in the early stages, you kind of deal with what you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, just being young and naive and you're, you know, if I'm going to motivate somebody to, to promote them into a kitchen management role, let's say, and I've just got one restaurant. Well, I look at the 10 guys that I've worked in the kitchen and I'm going to pick the one that has the, that does the best, that looks the most motivated, that shows up to work on time, that, seems to have their stuff together and then as time has gone on and now you know if you if i advance the story 20 years i would say you know now we're you look for different qualities i mean now we're looking for people we we, we make our pay rates very competitive with other with the other industries you find people that are a little bit more mature that kind of are going to show up to work because they have a family to feed and they're, they're they have a passion for what they're doing so you know back to my qualities of, of the things that I think I'm good at. One of the things I think I'm good at is I'm good at reading people. I think I've got a good gut to know who 
who I'm talking with. And I think not just have a good gut, a good read on other people, but I can talk to somebody that's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or I can talk to my uh, guy or girl that's working in the kitchen that has just got arms full of tattoos and a nose ring and an earring. Mm. And they still see me as that same, but they see me as someone they can talk to. They don't see me as the guy. I don't know if I can talk to Scott. He's the owner and I, I need to change who I am and make sure I talk differently. And I, I can go to them and say, Hey, let's just talk. Let's just come. Let's go have a coffee. I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to talk to you on your level. And I think by being able to do that, then you can get a true read for somebody. And in this business where, you know, there's a lot of theft and it's a cash business and you got to keep an eye on the way people act and react. You've got to have a good read on people. And, and I'll tell you, I'm not even the best at it anymore. I mean, I, there, thank God for some of the technologies that are out there because I, I'll think I know somebody and, you know, all of a sudden I find out that they're stealing things out the back door and, and you just get, you know, I, I'm glad that my parents gave me the ability to always believe and trust in other people because even though I've been burnt so many times, it's made my skin probably a little thicker, but I still always believe the best in everybody. I always give them that trust until they do something to break it. And I think that's a, that's a good quality to have. I don't think you go into something and think the worst of somebody, you're just destined to make it a, a pretty adverse situation to work with. Scotty, I love it. I love that you went down this this road because the next thing I was going to ask you is, I mean, yeah, we discussed it's so important to surround yourself with amazing people, but the truth is you can't surround yourself with amazing amazing people won't want to work for you unless you give them a reason to. So the question was going to be, what's the reason? Why are people coming to work for you? And I think you just answered the question. It's because you care about them. You, you invest time into, to get to know them and to let them know they can talk to you and that you, that you give a shit part of my language, but you also believe and trust them. If you want people to believe, if you want to create trust, if you want that to exist within your relationships, you've got to extend it first. You know, and well, it sounds like that's you're exactly right. Yeah. And, and it sounds like yeah, I that's think what in, in any business, in any business, you know, we taught, I'll use mine specifically, but I just told you that, you know, one of the things that we are in this industry are people pleasers. We're in the business of customer service and we want to make people smile and happy. Well, that doesn't mean just the customer. We, this business is my business has always started with the employee first. The employee, our motto or one of our mantras is that the employee is number one, not the customer, because if the, if the employee is treated well and treated right and you're open and honest and truthful and you show care and concern, then everything else falls into place because the people that show up to work get it and they're not showing up because they're angry and they just need the job because they'll take that out on the customer. But mm-hmm. if you, on the flip, if you give them that that love and that open and honesty and, and you put pride and effort into their development, then all of a sudden the customer sees it. And then all of a sudden the business mm-hmm. is more successful because of it. Yep. So we've always been a people first business. I think that's where your success always is going to resonate is if you treat your team well and you've got the right pieces in place, then all the other stuff will fall into place. Absolutely. So um, I want to get a failure from you, but before we do that, I just want to give you an opportunity to share any other like, you know, just aha moment or, you know, absolute truth, something that you know to be true about success in this industry. You said the first one's people surrounding yourself with people. What's one more just absolute truth about being successful in this yeah. industry that you know? 
Well, in this industry, that probably the tr- the truth that I do know is that you you start with a lot more money than you thought you were going to need to start a business, <laughs> and that's probably the truth in any business. But I, one of the things I, God, still to this day, I feel like I know the number, and I'm going to open the restaurant, and all of a sudden I should have had another couple hundred thousand dollars under the mattress or in the account to take for the, well, construction took an extra month or training was a little long or this happened because you just, the things that you just don't know always happen. And so I think that if you want to be successful, the worst thing you can do is try to meet a budget and under budget yourself or not have enough cash to be able to be ready for, uh, in our, especially in our business. And it's not just the opening. It's, possibly the six months after opening, or it could be that you open at a great time and then all of a sudden winter comes around or whatever slow time your restaurant might have around it. And you're just not prepared for that. And all of a sudden you aren't a squirrel that tucked your nuts away to, (laughs) you know, to be able to be able to use. And so you just, I think those are, those are some of the things that I wish I would have known early on because it probably would have taken away a lot of pain for me in those early years of going and all of a sudden scrambling because then, then you get into a bad uh, habit of then trying to find some high interest debt. And all of a sudden yeah. that creates just a cycle of living yeah. off of that money. And yeah. so, it's, so it's, I would say that's something you got to watch for. Yeah. You, you never want to put yourself in the position where you're, you're making decisions because of money. Like, I mean, right. how do that sounded a little funny, but you don't want your lack of money to be what, determines how you're going to do something because what's going to end up happening inevitably inevitably is the quality is going to go down. You're going to have to make cuts somewhere else. And you, you don't want to sacrifice quality and service and all those other things uh, to just stay afloat. You don't want to get to that point. So absolutely awesome stuff. And what would you say a safe amount of extra is? I've heard up to like, you know, twice the amount you, you think you need. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if it's well, <laughs> I don't know if it's twice what you need. I mean, every business is going to be different, so it's, yeah. you can't really give an amount because you could be opening a a mom and pop diner that only costs you a couple hundred grand to get off the ground. I mean, my business is you know it takes us one point three million to open a restaurant, so you know you're to have a accurate cushion behind that after you get open is to have a three four hundred five hundred thousand dollars in the bank, but that's sometimes it's not it's not possible. It's, uh, you know, I can talk to a lot of people. There are people that are listening might say, well, that sounds great, but how do I get that? And yeah. I can say, well, I don't have a good answer other than just save up and make sure you don't start and be under budgeted. Then you're not ready to go. If you don't have a cushion, you don't want to say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and risk it because you're not going to, the risk doesn't always equal the reward. Sometimes it's going to equal some pain. So, uh, you know, you, each business kind of has to decide for themselves. They, if they are doing an accurate budget, then I would tell them to look at probably two months worth of payroll. What's that's going to, what is that going to cost? And then that kind of can give you a worst case scenario to say, well, I need to have at least, if my payroll is 10,000 a week, then I'm going to make sure I have $80,000 extra in the bank for just in case. Mm, Awesome. So, uh, but I don't know if that's an accurate rule of thumb or not. I just, (laughs) it's, it's better than nothing. It's a a good place to start for sure. And, um, we got to get that failure real quick. And you started talking about it earlier, your second location, uh, take us through that failure, the, the, the big thing you did wrong in that situation and, um, how you're better now because of it. Uh, well, the big thing I did wrong was open the second restaurant. I mean, that's, <laughs> if you want the big thing, that's it. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have opened because I, again, going back to the story is that I was overly successful and way too young to be that successful in restaurant number one. So thinking that it's this is just an easy game that everybody should be playing. And I don't understand why there's so much failure. I thought I'm going to open restaurant number two 
And then I changed the model. I didn't do burgers and fries. I thought, well, I, I'm going to try one of these chef-driven restaurants. So I'm going to do, I'm going to have a chef and a pastry chef and a sous chef. And it, the, to the town population wasn't correct. The demographic wasn't correct. The location wasn't correct. The way I opened, you know, I'd never heard of a soft opening. I thought, I'm going to tell the entire world I'm opening on this day. And I hope there's a line out the door so that we're just busy from day one. And of course we were, but it does no good if you're busy, but it takes you an hour and a half to get the food to the table. So uh, we had every problem that I could have run into. That's why I can't tell you what the big, the the one big problem again was just opening the restaurant because there were so many, a comedy of um, other failures that it was three years of just complete heartache. It was, I don't know how I'm going to make the payroll. I don't know how I'm going to make the mortgage payment. I, my wife and I were having to show up on Sunday mornings because kitchen staff wasn't showing up and I was trying to cook brunch, you know, and I had no clue what I was doing in the kitchen. Uh, it was just in the, but the pain of going through those three years of not knowing how to pay what, what I was going to do to make things work are, are what I look back to as kind of my most successful learning years in this entire 20 years of doing this is because I went, because I went through and I'm, I'm happy that it happened in restaurant two, I'm glad it didn't happen in restaurant number eight. Cause you know, could the house of cards all fell down at, at, at restaurant eight, I would say probably, but luckily it happened at restaurant two. And so I learned so much in those three years that it made me know I never want to go through that again. I don't want to feel that pain and I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. Now I look, you know, flash forward to the recession. I couldn't avoid that. And that was a whole nother learning experience that I went through. But the, the thing that I always tell people, the beauty of being young and stupid and going through those three years of pain was that if I was 40, 45, I don't know, older and with kids and, and more mature, I might've said, Oh, this sucks. I'm not going to, I'm done. I'm going to stick with one restaurant. I'm just going to do this and I'm, I'll, I'll be happy. Mm. But I didn't, I didn't have kids and I didn't, I was, I was willing to, I was still young and stupid, but by going through that mistake and I was like, okay, well, let's just go ahead and risk it. I'm not going to let the bank take all this equipment back. I'm going to focus back on Scotty's, the core brand that was working, and I'm just going to pick another town, and I'm going to do some research, and I'm going to take every single piece of equipment out of here, and I'm going to use it to open restaurant number three or number two in the Scotty's mm-hmm. chain, and it it, it all worked. Awesome. Uh, you know, I, I I learned all those lessons of the things that I didn't, I shouldn't have done wrong, and I focused back on the core brand and went off and running to make this thing a, a success. Aside from opening the restaurant to be just opening and being the, the major mistake, what was you know what was the biggest uh, lesson about business that you learned that if somebody else is listening to this and they're about to open their second location that you would like to say to them right now in like two sentences? What it, say, say that again. So what, like, is the, what is the so if you were to <clears throat> take one lesson from this experience of opening your second location that if you that you know one just huge like eye-opening lesson that you would like to share with somebody else who might be opening their second location right now, what would uh, that work, piece of advice or that lesson that you learned be that you would want to share with them? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I think it, again, it would come down, for me, I would have done, I should have done more research into the market that I was going into, the the type of food that I was going to be serving. I just, I don't think I... I don't think I did enough planning. Mm. I think that I was, again, because I was so overly successful with restaurant number one that I thought, all right, I can do the, this is easy. I can do, I've got the knowledge I know how to run food costs. I know how to motivate people. 
people clearly like the menus that I'm doing. So I'm just going to go ahead and do this next one. And it was, it was actually a really good, great menu. It was a great restaurant, but it was the comedy of, of little errors that I did. And it was the location. It was just, I mean, if you want to, if you want to boil it down to uh, the core of, of probably what not, I don't, this isn't the only reason, but one of the cores of why it was not successful was the adage that everybody knows it's location, location, yep. location. And that was, I picked the wrong spot. <laughs> Uh, put yeah, it in. That will do it. Uh, we got to move on to the speed round, but first we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy banner in the show notes. So we're back. And the first question I have for you, Scotty, is what is your if factor, a trait, a habit, a characteristic that you believe most contributes to your success? Oh, gosh. Um, the most, the, the characteristic that helps me most with my success would probably be staying grounded with my family and my wife and just staying humble, I mm-hmm. think is probably the most important trait that I have. What's your biggest weakness? Biggest weakness would be, gosh, probably overextending myself. I have the problem of saying no to people. Mm. Yeah, that's dangerous. I get that one too. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? I think being honest and open and truthful with others uh, and being completely respectful uh, of who they are and and who you are. And I think by having those qualities uh, you'll find that people, you can, you can ask anything of people if you're willing to work right there with them and be open and honest with what you're doing. Beautiful. 
What is one question you ask or thing you look for during an interview? You know what I, I like to do is ask somebody to tell me a joke. I want to see if they can make me smile and they're quick and witty and uh, if they've got a good sense of humor because I think at the very end of the day, with everything that we do, laughter is one of the most important qualities that I, I ask for out of, out of people. And if, if, you've got, if you can understand that life isn't that, all that serious and that you can have fun and be playful, then uh, I believe that you, you can find the right person. Awesome. Uh, what is a current challenge uh, you're dealing with in your restaurants, and how are you overcoming that challenge? Oh, man. I think a current challenge is the type of employees that are coming out today. Number one, there's just seems to be not many of them, or, or that there are so many places that are hiring, or the fact that some of the people that are coming out of into the job market today are looking for overnight success and they don't want to do the things that we all did when we were growing up mm-hmm. is, is probably a challenge. The pay rates that are happening, some of the governmental influences that are now starting to be brought down upon us, whether it's minimum wage or healthcare, things that weren't in the mathematical formula of that 4% that I told you about earlier, um, now are all of a sudden becoming uh, hot button issues. So it's, it's difficult it's been a difficult process to uh, to navigate through this this new world of employees and and the need for them and how do we attract them and keep them and retain them and keep them motivated. Mm. Um, what is one thing besides food your restaurants do really well that separates you from other restaurants? Oh well, of course our beer. You know we <laughs> brew our own beer, so I think that our uh, our craft beer. I'm an IPA hophead, so. Uh, I love our our Golden Zoe IPA is probably one of the best, and I think what sets us apart is the fact that uh, we sell growlers of beer for carryout from all of our restaurants in Indiana and uh, some of our other locations as well, out of state, depending on the laws and the cities we're in. But not in Indiana, at least, not everyone can do that. It's uh, typically you have to brew on site to be able to do that. And in Indiana, we have a law that because I have common ownership between my brewery and our restaurants it allows me to sell our beer for carry out at all of our locations. So I think, I think that makes us unique. And the fact that we, we have, we have fun and we're playful with the, uh, the types of drinks we do. I I think that, you know, like just like our burgers of the month that we do that we have fun with, like right now we have a one called Rudolph's revenge that starts today. That's a elk burger. Mm. Um, so we have (laughs) that, we have the same playful fun with our, uh, with our drinks. We've got one that's coming out this month that, we're actually smoking with wood chips that that's awesome. It serves the table and it's smoking when you're, when you are drinking it. So it's a, I think, again, it goes down to what I told you earlier when I, same thing I look for out of people that to be humorous and playful, it's same thing with our food is just not take it too seriously. It's remembering that it's burgers and fries and you're trying to make people feel good and forget about the, the problems of the day or the week and let them just have an, an hour to just enjoy being taken care of. Beautiful. What is one book that's a must read if you want to become a better person or restaurant owner? Oh gosh. Um, I've read so many, you know, the one that I really like that I always, uh, is my fallback. <clears throat> I mean, there's always the good to great and there's the, uh, shark books and all these, you know, there's, there's a dozen different, like just good leadership books, but I love reading about Steve jobs. Mm. He's kind of just an inspiration to me. Cause I, not just from what he created, but the fact that 
<clears throat> what I loved about what he did was he was so attentive to details. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things I tell my people. And I always use a story about anybody that's read the book or seen the movie knows that he hated originally when the, when they developed the phone and the apps were on it, that they were, they had hard corners and he wanted rounded corners. And so if you look at <clears throat> a lot of his computers, faces, the phones, and the apps and the icons on the phones all have rounded corners because he was so attentive to that detail. And he thought that was so important where most people would just overlook that. Mm. That was something important to him. And I just, I love that. Which book so, was this that you're referencing? I'm sure he's probably yeah, it's the book on his life, the book on his life, the, the Steve jobs uh, book that was most recently put out. Okay, cool. I'll find that and have links in the show notes. And how, how often would you say uh, you read? You know what? I don't do as much as I would like because I'm so busy with work. The, the reading that I do now is all dedicated to reading about our industry. So I read about five different, I get five different email newsletters a day that's talking about different trends in HR and uh, food and drink and, and so on. And so I'm, I'm always reading those articles. But from a book standpoint, I just don't, I don't, I don't take the time to do it anymore unless I'm on vacation and then when I'm on vacation, I found that before when I could sit down in a, lo- in a chair and read with my wife, now it's dad get in the pool and throw <laughs> us and play with us. So I don't, I don't get to do that as much. I probably, where I, what I love to do is, is not even read educational books. I like to watch movies that are non-educational. I want something that's going to take my mind off of the world for a minute. So I love watching movies and I don't get a chance to even do that very often other than when I exercise. I've got lots of movies on my uh, iPad. Nice. So when I'm when I'm running on the treadmill is when I try to have some movie time. Yeah, and uh, I just did some quick research. Um, it's it's just called Steve Jobs, and it's written by Walter uh, Isaacson. Does that sound familiar? Uh, yep, that sounds familiar. All right, and that is on Audible too, guys. So if you head over to audibletrial.com/slash/unstoppable, you can get that book for free if you haven't already signed up for Audible. It will change your life trust me all right the next question i have for you scotty what is one piece of technology you've adopted actually i'm going to break this question up uh what's one piece of technology that you adopted when you were growing your business that you think every restaurant should be leveraging this technology answer that first and then uh what's one technology that's currently coming out that really has your attention so first one everyone's Everyone, well, I mean, again, I, I hate to look back to 20 years ago because it's so, yeah. <laughs> because that's, uh, you know, that's ancient compared to what we're talking. If we talk about today, I mean, the technologies that are out there from the type of POS that you should have in your stores to the type of uh, host software. I mean, I think one of the biggest changes that we made that made a cost, signif- uh, so, you know, save us money and was made us even more successful was getting rid of pagers, which just sounds crazy. But when a guest comes in and you're on a wait, there are so many people that now had cell phones that I knew that if I would just put them uh, into this new software that we have into, into an iPad, that I could just text them when their table's ready. And what software so, are you using? Are you still using it? Oh, God. Table, table Up is the one that we use, I believe, right now, but there are a dozen of them that are out there. Um, table Up we have great success with. And it's, uh, you know, we've got, it's got the ability where people can get online and uh, put their name on the wait. You know, they can get, they can actually go for, if they're at home sitting on a computer, they can just get in there and figure out what they want to might, what might want to see what the wait is. So they'll go in there and say, oh, it's a 45 minute wait. I'm going to put my name in. I can wait another 30 minutes before I head out. So that's something that I think uh, is, that can help people um, with their, as, as a current technology. 
Um, but the upcoming technologies and one that we've got currently in place is making sure that you have an app, you know, like, and making sure not just to have an app to have an app, but have one that actually makes sense. So for us, you can order uh, food online through our app, but the most important benefit that I have on ours is, uh, loyalty. Mm -hmm. Um, so that if you, every, you know, every five visits, you get $5 off and every 10 growler fills, you get a free one. And, um, we, we do push notifications through it so I can, you know, we've got over 40,000 people that have yes. now downloaded the app in the last six months. And so by having the right app and using it the right way, it's a, I think, you know, a, a current technology that's there that we're not using yet is even geolocation. So knowing that the minute you walk in with your phone, if you've got our app that I can pop up on your screen mm. through a push notification here are the daily soups and here are the, here's some specials that are going on today or buy a gift card because it's the holidays. So I think that using it the right way, uh, having a successful app and, and, and pushing it to your consumers is a, is a great technology to have. You've, you've got to leverage the tools that allow you to do direct marketing today. I mean, the, I, the, yep. the ways of the past of just broadcasting messages and open waves just does not make sense. You've got to... <laughs> promote to people who choose to do business with you and if they have your app if they if they give you their email if they are you know uh all these things their their phone number that's them giving you permission to communicate with them take advantage of it uh what's the service right. you're using to um to create your app i'm just curious the app we used we had a company called relevant that helped develop it and the reason we wanted to use them is because they work directly with our pos provider who is uh aloha got it uh, so radiant technologies. Um, so that if you want to get a good app and have them develop it, th- this is a group that does a lot of restaurant development for apps and they connect with, uh, Aloha, which was important for us to have some seamless integration into the POS. Beautiful. Um, all right. I really, I hear you open your car door. So I, I, I get the sense that you're trying to <laughs> get some place to be. So I'll try <laughs> yeah, to speed this up, uh, <laughs> with all the knowledge you have now, if you, could go, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would that, that question or that piece of advice be? Oh, uh, yeah, I think it relates to what I said earlier is that I wish I would have just slowed down a little bit, just enjoyed things a little bit more. You know, I remember, I do remember collecting my first dollar, from the original restaurant. But from there, I think I just, then it was just go, 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 go. And I wish that I would have just kind of taken it easy a little bit. I think sometimes if you grow too quickly, you can cause so many problems for yourself, for your personal life, for your, for your business, because you're just not ready. Um, and then sometimes you got to, you do have to make the jump. Sometimes when you just feel like, okay, I've done this long enough. I've done enough research to do number two. I'm ready to make that jump. Then for sure, make the jump, but just don't try to push yourself overly uh quickly because i think again it goes back to not having enough if you don't have enough cash there to make sure that you're ready to go if you don't have the right knowledge if you didn't do enough research and just enjoy the ride man if, if you're sometimes we're so worried about getting to the next place that we forget about just enjoy you know i remember i tell this story to my my coo is one of my best friends he's been it's a rare uh rare in people because you, you typically can't work with your best friend. And so I'm, I'm, he started with me almost day one as a dish, as a, I think a, a cook. And then he worked his way on up and now he's a COO and he's been with me for 20 years. And I remember leaving, he was the guy that ran restaurant number two. He was the GM because I trusted him and he was great. And I remember leaving and I remember having all these notes. We always had meetings about things we needed to do better and we're failing at this, this, and this. 
And sometimes I'm too hard as a critic. I, I remember leaving and there was a line out the door on a Friday and I was like six o'clock and I, I just called him and left him a voicemail. And I said, Hey Eric, just remember all the stuff we talked about today. We've got a great thing, man. We've got a line out the door. We're on a wait, a, an hour and a half wait. Don't forget to enjoy right now today. And sometimes I don't listen to my own advice and I need to, you know, I, I, today I'm even, I push, 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 and I need to occasionally cliche, just stop and smell the roses. Scotty wise, you've been awesome. I've so enjoyed speaking with you today. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I connected with you. Tim McEnery called you out. Thank you, Tim. Uh, who was one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and believe would just be a great guest mentor like you were for us today. Oh, you know, who's great in Indianapolis. I would say is Martha Hoover. I would say, give, give her a shot because she has done, She's built an incredible empire of uh, not just breakfast breakfast restaurants. She's now uh, got pizza, and she's done a great job with a foundation that she started, where she's feeding uh, kids in schools that don't have that aren't getting the necessary uh, three square meals a day kind of thing that they're just barely eating just to survive. And I just really respect what she's built and grown and i think she'd be a great one for the for the podcast martha hoover look out i'm coming after you and let the folks at home know <laughs> if they're listening if they uh want to maybe come join your team or if they want to connect with you on social media what's the best way to connect yeah so twitter is at brew house b-r-e-w-h-o-u-s-e uh we're on facebook as well and uh instagram of course and if you go to our website uh scottysbrewhouse.com you can find all the necessary tools if you want to apply for a job, if you want to download the free app, if you want to just send me an email. My email is listed on the website, so uh, scottysbrewhouse.com. Beautiful. I'll have those links in the show notes. This is episode 288, so head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 288. Scotty, thank you so much, man. Uh, you've just been a real treat to speak with. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, brother. Every once in a while, you know, I get an interview where I have to summarize or just, you know, reflect on what I learned. And man, Scott just left us with so much gold, the bombs of knowledge everywhere. And I don't even know where to start with, you know, how to reflect on this. I think the big thing, um, the big thing here is the story on how he, uh, he was really sick and it, it gave him you know, a different perspective on life and how he started living life and why he started doing things. And he started doing things to make a difference in the world and to really impact people and to just make the world a better place. And that is one thing I've found with all of my successful restaurant tours. The people that come on the show, they are successful because they aren't trying to become like huge and they're not trying to grow and they aren't focusing on how they can make the most money, but they do focus on how they can impact the lives of the people they touch, whether it's their guests, whether it's their employees, whether it's their family or whether it's themselves, they go introverted. They, 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 they try to uh, achieve something uh, that's, you know, uh, personal growth wise or just, or just serving a higher mission. I'm rambling at this point, but, but you know, like it's about being great and not being massive. It's about 
leaving an impact. It's about making the world a better place, like he said. And um, that's one thing I just I saw in him. And, and it seems like his life really started to take a change for the better when he started just fo- redirecting his focus and his mission. Uh, so beautiful stuff there. He also mentioned some things like extending trust to others uh, before those will trust you. And I think that's one thing uh, a lot of us do wrong in this industry is we we wonder why nobody will work for us. Where we wonder why there's no good people out there. Um, and we we wonder why there's an issue with you know commitment and just loyalty and we have to ask ourselves are are we creating that culture first are we extending these things to other people first and i just don't think you can expect it to go both ways if you don't extend uh that type of culture first onto other people if you give trust in others and you you make it about other people and you're gonna get burnt you know let's be honest you're gonna get burnt once or twice but i bet you that if you Start living this life of service and this life of uh, giving unto others first. You're going to see that you get burnt a whole lot less. And uh, like you said, it's about attracting that greatness to you. But who would want to work for you? Why would you any greatness be attracted to you if you didn't give them a reason to be attracted to you? So focus on becoming great yourself. Focus on being the person the dream boss, the dream employer, the, 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 the greatest version of yourself you can be and then see your your business turn around. Um, awesome stuff today. Uh, just love it. I really do. And and like always, please connect with me. There's nothing I enjoy more than connecting with my listeners. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm here to serve you. The best way I can serve you is to find out where your pain is. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Connect with me on Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable or on Twitter at Eric Cacciatore. Connect with me. Tell me what hurts. Tell me who you want to hear from. Give me a direction. You know, I'm here to serve you. And the best way I can serve you is if I understand uh, what you need. And Lord knows I love connecting with you. Uh, I I really do love connecting. So uh, the best way, the way I enjoy connecting with you the most is with those one-on-one chats. You can have a 15-minute one-on-one chat with me. Share your ideas with me. Share me. Share with me your concerns, your uh, curiosities. And you know, one thing I have developed for myself in over 280 interviews with some of the best minds in the industry is an incredible network. I might not have the answer. You know, I'm learning. I'm growing every day, just like you. But I do know somebody who has an answer, and I love being able to say. And I've, I've always admired those people in life that say, "Oh, I know a guy." Well, I know a guy. I know lots of guys and gals that can help you. So I'm here to connect you with the right people. But you got to take the first step. You've got to reach out to me. Um, All right, guys. That's all I have today. Love you all so much. Keep showing up every day, guys. Keep trying to create something special. Uh, Make it about the impact. And you will become unstoppable. Until next time. Peace out.